Hello, I'm M3, and this is my opinion for Monday, March 23rd, 2020. Well, here we go again, another week of doing uh, the podcast from home, unfortunately. But hey, you make the best with the situation that is. Uh, hope you're all doing well out there, wherever you, you are, whether you you're at work, you're at home, no matter what it is you're doing, you're staying safe. That's the most important thing in uh, this time here. And hopefully for the next little bit, I keep you somewhat entertained here because surprisingly this week, the story when it came to the sports world became more about sports. Now, even though nothing's happening right now as far as actual games being played, it doesn't mean that there's not news to be made, especially when you consider whoop, the NFL free agency getting going uh, over this last uh, week. And uh, no, the, the one that surprised me the most, and I, I would say I was probably the most stubborn about this because... This has been reported since October. This has been reported that this was going to happen. There was a belief. Whether you ask Adam Schefter of ESPN, you ask people on the NFL Network, uh, uh, Peter King with his uh, um, pro football talk uh, and uh, Money Money Monday Morning Quarterback article, there was this growing sense that Tom Brady was leaving New England. And, you know, maybe it's stubbornness on my part. Maybe it's just I'll see it when I believe it. But I, for life of me, I thought, oh, he's going to be a lifetime Patriot. He's never going to put on another uniform, no matter what potential friction there is between himself and Bill Belichick. Robert Kraft, in the end, will make it all work out between both sides. But I was very surprised when I woke up Tuesday morning to see, A, the Instagram or Twitter post that he he put up uh, uh, thanking uh, Patriots Nation, thanking the organization, and announcing via social media that he was leaving, that he was going to be moving on and quote um, that his uh, football journey would continue beyond uh, the Patriots it, like this is really happening I, I thought all along that this this was the actual hoax that this was um, just oh they're they're trying to fool us and in the end he's gonna end up re-signing with uh, New England anyway and to my surprise, he's now an expatriate. And on uh, the later stages of Friday afternoon, signed a two-year contract with the Tampa Bay Bucks. And no, the destination is not surprising when you consider you had to you look at each of the possibilities and you go order of elimination here. You go, you process them out. There was, 
The 49ers was his dream destination. But he wasn't going to be able to go there um, unless they traded uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Plus, it was going to probably affect them when it comes to re-signing potentially some of their own free agents, their own players. I mean, you look at they already had to trade uh, uh, one of their uh, pass rushers in uh, Buckner uh, to the Colts were able to make a... Uh, a uh, significant move there, getting a first-round pick for DeForest Buckner. But they were probably going to have to move around some other salary, maybe say goodbye to some players. They they were really looking to re-sign Emmanuel Sanders, as well as uh, at, at some point in the, the next year, some of the younger players uh, were also going to be up for uh, contract extensions. So even though this is a, a win-now team, they figured, oh, we can uh, win with Jimmy. Uh, we got to a Super Bowl with him, and he'll only get better next year. So they they were out of the mix. The Colts, well, yeah, played in a dome. There was no way he was going to go and play in a building that had a Peyton Manning statue outside. So they're out. He wasn't coming to New York, obviously, uh, L.A. was always the possibility, but the Rams have about 65% of their cap uh, tied into about five players, and it was going to take a tremendous cap hit for them to uh, get rid of Jared Goff. So they, they were out. The Chargers, uh, while they have a ready-to-win roster. We're more in the mode of let's draft our long-term uh, quarterback, even though bringing in Tom Brady would put a lot of uh, fannies in the seats of that new stadium they're opening up next year. So it was, really to me, it was, it was between uh, the Bears and uh, the Buccaneers as possible landing places. And the Bucks made too much sense for, for two reasons. A, warmer weather, and B, you know, better weapons around him, and a better, and C, I guess if you want to go third option here, a, a better head coach, Bruce Arians, much better coach than, uh, um, than Matt Nagy. He, he's got good weapons there with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, OJ Howard at tight end, uh, the youngster Ronald Jones as his running back there. A defense that got better as the year went along uh, once they got used to Todd Bowles' scheme. And now, if you look at the points allowed that the Buccaneers' defense was given up uh, during the year, a lot of that, I think, can be attributed to the faults of Jameis Winston. Because you look, while they were... Bottom five as as far as points allowed, they were only 15th in the league as far as yards given up. So that means a, there were a lot of times where that defense was starting off in poor field position with the uh, 30 interceptions that Winston threw uh, during the year. So it's a... no. Good move for the Bucs, a team that's looking to take that next step in a division that seems like it's, no, 
I don't want to say up for grabs, but always evolving. You know, you have Drew Brees coming back on a two-year contract, but who knows how long he's going to want to play. Matt Ryan, the Falcons, you know that they're going to be a, a, a team to deal with after a down year uh, last year, uh, possibly with their coach's job on the line. The Panthers aren't even going to be a walkover either. They um, bring in uh, Teddy Bridgewater as their new quarterback, moving on uh, from Cam Newton. So you had to add, you know, a uh, big name in there at quarterback, someone that's not going to turn the ball over endlessly because, you know, Winston threw 30 interceptions, but, uh, you know, you watch these games and he could have thrown a lot more than the 30 with how uh, poor he he was accuracy-wise. But I'm still just, no, fairly surprised about this. Even, you know, Five, six days later, never thought I'd see the day where Tom Brady signing a contract with a team other than uh, the Patriots. And as for why he left, you know, the Bucks. you look at, they they have better uh, weaponry there. They have a, a younger roster, uh, whereas you look at with the Pats, you know, Julian Edelman is on his last legs. Uh Nikhil Harry, we didn't get to see the full extent of him uh, last year, missing half the time due to injury. And you know, you just had a lot of interchangeable moving parts there, typical with uh, Bill Belichick's team. That that was a team that relied more on winning games with their defense than so with their offense. Didn't provide him with the greatest weapons last year with Gronk retired and. Now, with his new career getting started, he's he's not coming back. Uh, you see, uh, uh, they had Antonio Brown for five minutes, but he uh, wore out his uh, wep- his uh, welcome there. Excuse me. And you now people are going to look at, oh, who do you blame here? Who who's at fault with this situation? Well, why does there always have to be? someone to blame? Why does there always have to be someone at fault when there's a breakup? It's it's one thing, you know, in real life when you have a breakup in a relationship or, or a marriage, people are always looking at, oh, who was the leading reason on why that broke up? Who, who was the leading reason on why that relationship came to an end? But in sports... No, I think we have to stop being surprised about this. Stop being surprised uh, when uh, someone decides to move on and not spend their entire career in one place. You know, not everybody is you know, Derek Jeter or not everybody's Eli Manning where they're going to wear one jersey be. Um, synonymous with that organization their entire career. I mean, we're still, we're always going to look back on Brady's career when it's all said and done and think of him wearing that number 12 jersey in in Patriots uniform up up in Foxborough, Massachusetts. It's not going to be entrenched in our minds of him as a Buccaneer when it's all said and done, unless he goes there and wins uh, two Super Bowls in a row and decides to walk off. Now, you think uh, 
Peyton Manning finished his career with the Broncos, but we still all think of him as a cult. Uh, you look at Joe Montana, finished his career uh, with uh, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, but we all think of him as a 49er. Hell, hockey. You look at, at uh, Martin Brodeur finishing his career with the St. Louis Blues, but he'll always be a devil in my mind. He played only four games with the Blues. There's you know, endless uh, examples of this. If you go back through the history of sports, you'll, you'll look at it and you're like, wow, that guy finished his career there. We remember him more for being this. Like David Ortiz started his career with the Minnesota Twins. We all forget that and we'll always look at him as a Boston Red Sox. And the same is going to account for Brady here. And what probably happened here, and you know, that this shows that Robert Kraft stayed out of this, especially with the fact that last year when they last summer when they renegotiated Brady's contract, reconfigured some things, they took out the ability for him to have the franchise tag placed on him. So it was probably a couple things. Tom saw the roster around him deteriorating, getting old, realizing that, hey, I got a couple more years that I want to play. I want to uh, go to a, a team that has a little more uh, offensive uh, firepower around me, better weapons, where I don't have to carry the day, uh, that I got guys that can make plays around me, as well as, you know, he wanted to get paid a little more. I mean, he has taken the a hometown discount over the years. But it was also probably uh, a situation where or we know how uh, old-blooded Bill Belichick is, and he was probably ready to move on as well. In both of these guys have egos, but there's all they both want to prove that you know it was them that set up the dynasty. And there's always been this chicken and the egg argument with them. Did Brady make Belichick, or did Belichick make Brady? And you know, in Belichick's corner of that argument is the fact that the year Tom Brady uh, was out with the torn ACL, he went 11-5 and with Matt Castle as his uh, quarterback. In, in Brady's uh, defense, he could say, hey, I had Randy Moss for a, a couple of years, uh, but you look uh, at uh, this offense by whole, I made it what it was. I made you know, Danny Amendola into a household name. Julian Edelman, I made him into a household name. Uh, the, we went through endless amount of running backs here. And guys seemingly were in and out off this roster on a week-by-week basis outside of uh, Brady, and Gronkowski, and Edelman there. They you no, know, they they had a couple years with Legarrette Blunt, but he it wasn't like he was there uh, during this entire uh, dynasty. So that's what Brady's got in his argument. Now he he's got a whole new challenge in front of him, dealing with that NFC South, having to face Breeze, Ryan, and now Bridgewater twice a year for the uh, next two years. So each of those teams, you no. Know, made upgrades along with that, with the Saints bringing back Malcolm Jenkins uh, to add to that defense. Uh, 
the Falcons giving uh, Matt Ryan a, a new running back with adding Todd Gurley. But now in the NFC South, in a more difficult division, Brady's going to have a chance to prove that it was him, that he he was uh, the driving force behind this dynasty. And, you know, brings it. It brings a smile to my face as a Jet fan because, quite frankly, I, I never thought that this day was going to come. I, I thought that, you know, Brady and Belichick were going to just defy father time and they were going to be the ghosts that haunted over the AFC East forever. And who knows? Who knows what the tricks the Patriots have uh, up their bags as far as, you know, now they got to find a replacement for Tom Brady. And, that's always one of the more difficult things in sports is replacing the legend, replacing the guy the, that not only was there of, for a long time, but is regarded by many as the greatest of all time. And you look around, who could be that replacement? Could they go with the young guy in, in Jared Stenham? With uh, Philip Rivers now in Indianapolis, could they maybe try and get a reunion going with Jacoby Brissett? There's veteran options out there, um, uh, whether it be uh, via trade or free agent market. Um, don't think they're, they're going to go with James Winston. I think he's going to have to you know, go be someone's backup for a year or two uh, to rebuild some uh, value, but... No, Cam Newton is an option, and he he's running out of uh, options, uh, quite frankly. Uh, Andy Dalton, uh, that one to me would be more surprising uh, than Cam, though it would give him his best chance to actually win a playoff game or two there. But we'll see what happens. So uh, with New England, I I no, I shouldn't be stunned about this because the writing was on the wall, but. As I said, I never thought that this day was actually going to come. Tom Brady, no longer a New England Patriot, no longer, you know, that dark cloud that hangs over my life as a New York Jet fan since September of 2001. All right, a lot left I want to talk about here. Uh, talk about uh, the Giants and Jets as far as free agency. Let's see what else. Uh, Oh, other moves going on in free agency. I got a whole list here. If you're watching on Facebook uh, or Periscope here with stuff I want to talk about, as well as some baseball things to mix in as well. So sit back, relax, and continue keeping it sports with M3. All right, if you're watching this on Facebook or Periscope right now, uh, just let you know the podcast version, if you don't watch uh, the entire thing will be available in a little bit uh, on uh, facebook.com slash keeping sports with m3 if you you're not already uh, following the page please go there and do so and you know each and every single week when I whenever I go live with the podcast or post podcast I ask that you could click the share button send it around to your friends on Facebook that I may not be friends with because I'm not looking to add Facebook friends here. I'm just looking to expand the following for the podcast. Now, I was talking about 
just a minute ago when it comes to Brady, different options for uh, his successor in New England. And a couple of the names I brought up, Cam Newton and James Winston. And I'm uh, very intrigued on both of these guys when it comes to their football future here, where they're going to uh, go. Because in the case of James Winston, he's coming off of an awful year for him, becoming the first 30-30 guy in NFL history. And him and people in his camp will try and blame it on his eyesight, saying that he had laser surgery, correct that this all off season saying and now the joke has been out there saying that he's gone from being 30-30 to now 20-20 but the problem with Winston is he came out of college with such huge expectations and never no never took that next step forward he'd have Good, ga- great games here and there. He'd have games where he'd throw for 400-plus yards, but he'd always have that interception at the end that would be very costly to his team and uh, never turn the Bucks into a winner he, you know, like he did with Florida State in college. He never took that next step, never got better. So to me, he's probably going to have to go somewhere where they got a veteran quarterback and he could be the backup for a, a year and uh, learn a new system, get better, just you know, change the scenery. The, the bigger problem for Cam Newton is, though, you know, the, I don't know who to believe whether it was, oh, the Panthers originally put it out on social media saying that we're giving uh, Cam Newton um, an opportunity to explore trade options. He fired back that quickly saying, no, you're forcing me out here that uh, you're the one uh, that said this. I'm not asking for a trade out of here. I like it here. But unfortunately, his his time uh, in uh, Carolina has come to an end, especially with them uh, signing Teddy Bridgewater to a three-year contract last week. And he's run, he ran out of options very quickly because... They decided late in the game that, oh, we're going to trade him. I mean, he's, he loses Carolina as an option. Tampa Bay is not an option with uh, them signing Brady. Uh, they lose Chicago as an option with the, with, uh, the Bears uh, trading uh, for Nick Foles. And obviously that means for Jacksonville that uh, they're uh, committed going forward with Gardner Minshew. You could say maybe, oh, he goes to Washington to be uh, with his old coach, Ron Rivera, but they just traded for Kyle Allen, his uh, former backup. So now that option is uh, not on the table. And Rivers went went to the Colts. That that takes away another option for him there. The only place I could, I could see him uh, getting traded to now is to San Diego, where they could say, all right, we will trade for Cam Newton, or if eventually the Panthers just flat out release him, we'll sign Cam for a year with an option on it. 
help come in, uh, be our starter. That allows us to draft one of the young quarterbacks in the in the first round. Let that kid sit there, develop for a year before taking over as our starter. But you know that that's pretty much it as far as the options go for Cam Newton. And there's there's really not that team out there that is in a desperate need of a starting quarterback that's you know, been an MVP in the past, well, been to a Super Bowl. But to be fair, since those moments, since that moment that a lot of us remember vividly in the Super Bowl against the uh, Broncos when he did not jump on the ball uh, to recover the fumble on uh, uh caused by Von Miller. Now, he's been kind of on a somewhat rocky trajectory there. Uh, once again, has never lived up to that MVP level, that MVP status that we thought he was taking the next step towards about four years ago. But, no, he's still reasonably young. He's act- I think he's actually younger than me. I think he's only 30 years old, so there's still time uh, for him as long as he's completely healthy after last year's injuries. Now, one of the big mistakes that I see all the time in the NFL is when one of Bill Belichick's coordinators or one of his coaches on his staff leave go somewhere else to be a head coach and they try too much to be like him. It happened with Mangini when he was in New York with the Jets. No, it's happened uh, with uh, Romeo Cornell. It, it, it happened with Charlie Weiss when he, he went to uh, Notre Dame. Josh McDaniels when he was uh, with the Denver Broncos. Too many of these guys try to take this cold-blooded mindset uh, that uh, Belichick had with them to their new place, and everyone looks at him and like, wait a minute, how do you get to talk to me like this? Yeah, you were a coach under the greatest coach of all time, but you weren't the main leading reason to all those Super Bowl championships. So you're not going to talk to me like I'm some small child here. And that's why for each one of them, it's had a a very negative result here. But once again now, if Joe Judge, in in the beginning of his time as Giants head coach, needed another example of why you need to be yourself and not act so much like Belichick. We're given another example this past week. And it's long been noted that it's not all kumbaya between uh, the Lions and uh, their uh, corner, Darius Slay. Hell, we're hearing rumors as far back as last summer, as far as them possibly trading him. Well, now they did trade him over the last couple days to the Eagles for their third and fifth round picks in this coming year's draft, give the Eagles an upgrade at at a position that 
seemingly they had guys going in and out of uh, last year with the, all of the injuries. But in the case of the Lions, it ends what was a very tumultuous relationship there between uh, Darius Slay and and uh, Matt Patricia, and a relationship that went bad mostly because of Matt Patricia, mostly uh, because of his uh, nonsense, mostly because he tried to uh, be too much of a tough guy here, especially when you read the reports of how this relationship soured, dating back to training camp of 2018. And I quote here, this from the Detroit Free Press, the relationship was severed during a team meeting in training camp. When Darius Slay posted a picture of a wide receiver on social media and Patricia told Slay to stop bleeping the man's privates. I I think you know uh, what word I bleeped there. This is a family show, people, by the way. Um, And then they add to it by saying earlier in the offseason... Patricia called Slay into his office and reprimanded him for working out with fellow cornerbacks uh, Richard Sherman, Akib Talib, and Xavier Rhodes. Told him he wasn't a late, those players were, um, and Sherman was using him to get information since the 49ers were going to play the Lions that season. M- mind you, that pr- offseason was prior to Patricia's first year as head coach of the Lions. So he's already coming out and starting a, a potential war with one of his top players, a guy that was a first-team All-Pro in 2017, led the NFL in interceptions, passes defended, and he's a guy that's never been a head coach in his life, only a defensive coordinator, and he's already going to come and be ripping his, uh, arguably his best player, you know from there that this was uh, bound to uh, fall apart. And, you know, Matt Patricia, he's not going to last long there in Detroit. He's, uh, this is a make-it-a-break-it year for him. And now when you look at, at that division, of course, the Packers still the head of the class. The Vikings... Uh, even with some of their recent moves, are not a team to take lightly. And even the Bears, now showing that Mitchell Trubisky that he's got some competition to deal with, if it even even is a competition, uh, maybe they might just hand the, uh, the starting role off to uh, Nick Foles. The Lions, unfortunately, I hate to say it because i got a, a friend that uh, watches and listens to this podcast at times. The Lions are... In for another miserable year, especially with this bad head coach here. And you now, speaking of an, another uh, Belichick disciple, last week I came on here and absolutely destroyed Bill O'Brien because he trades DeAndre Hopkins. Trade made no sense in the world. You trade him to the Cardinals and you get back a second round pick. And David Johnson, a running back that has 
had one big year and has failed to live up to his contract? Well, now that deal looks even worse when you see the deal that uh, the Vikings made last week. Another example of a relationship that you knew was bound to fall apart here. Stefan Diggs uh, uh, signifying uh, as far back as like November last year that he was not happy in uh, Minnesota anymore, wanted to move on, wanted to be traded. And you know, the Vikings made a pretty good deal here, trading them to the Bills for their first round pick, pick number 22, a fifth round pick and sixth round pick for this year, as well as their fourth round pick in 2021. So they get, at the very minimum, at least one first round pick for their uh, star wide receiver who can be a little bit of a diva, can be a little bit of a malcontent at times, but there's no doubting his talents. And the the Bills, uh, in this case, get a guy that helps them uh, move to that next level. I mean, uh, they surprised a lot of people by going 10-6 uh, and six last year, being a playoff team, even with the fact that their quarterback is uh, about a 58% uh, completion percentage guy and still has some serious accuracy issues. But Diggs now goes to an, a team that is looking to take that next step, a team that looks at and says, hey, for the first time in a long time, the Patriots might be vulnerable here. This is maybe our chance to uh, get that top spot and take over uh, this uh, division. But as I said, he's still got some serious flaws with uh, Josh Allen that you have to work out there. But it's a good a great move for them to uh, get him one of the best wide receivers in the league. And in the Vikings' case, you get a uh, first-round pick back for it. Makes uh, them uh, makes uh, the Texans look even worse today than they did this time last week. All right, I'm going to take another break here. Come back on the other side look at what the Jets and Giants have done uh, so far uh, this offseason. Continue keeping sports with M3. We've seen a lot of uh, transactions so far uh, in uh, the NFL's free agent period. The NFL offseason officially beginning uh, last uh, Wednesday with the beginning of their new league year. No, we've seen the trades. We've seen uh, the changes at uh, quarterback. We've even seen... Uh, no movement on the, the wide receiver position. But this is also a reminder of how, you know, the, yeah, it's good to make moves. It's, it's, uh, it gets fan bases excited for a day. But you don't win the Super Bowl or win a, a division based on what you do in the offseason. We've seen so many times these teams were, oh, they're the winner of the offseason and go out there and do uh, nothing. Now, the, you've seen a lot of uh, moves where it, it's like, why did that team give that big of a contract to this guy? So, such as, you know what, I understand, you know, the Dolphins are looking uh, 
to continue building here, but I was surprised that they were the team that gave Byron Jones uh, the five years eighty. $2 million. You know, there were teams interested in Amari Cooper, but in the end, no one wanted, no one other than uh, the Cowboys and the Redskins wanted to meet his uh, asking price. And when push came to shove, he took sl- a slight discount to go back to the Cowboys. And even with all the money the Giants had available th- this offseason, they didn't go out there and make the big, uh, uh, no, sexy moves as far as, you know, spending $15 million per year on five different guys, but they made, you know, smart quality moves here. You know, you, you bring in, uh, James Bradbury, who was one of the best, uh, corners on, uh, the free agent market, upgrade your secondary, bring back Corey Coleman, uh, as you know, third wide, third or fourth wide receiver there after missing uh, most of last year. Even uh, signing uh, Blake Martinez uh, to a three-year contract. And this is a guy that has been a tackle machine for the last uh, three years, uh, averaging about 140 tackles uh, per season here, if uh, my stat sheet's got this correctly. Now the now just because they had a lot of cap room doesn't mean that they were going to try and uh turn this into a Super Bowl or a bust situation here showing uh, a a little bit of I don't know whether you want to call it resistance or you know smart judgment in the way uh, that they uh, spent uh, this off season and that that's how you build a team. That's how you build a winner. Uh, it's about building through the draft and then using free agency as a supplement uh, rather than having that as being uh, your team building ways. And, you know, it's the same way with uh, my team, same way with the Jets in what they've done uh, so far this off season. You know, brought back some of their own guys who, Resigning Brian Poole, uh, just resigned James Burgess today. Looks like they're going to be able to resign Jordan Jenkins as well. But the main focus this off season was improving that offensive line, protecting Sam Darnold's rear end. Because no, you, you want to call his uh, second year disappointing when you mix in. The mono, the fact that they got off to a one and seven start before finishing well against uh, less than a impressive opposition. Then I'll buy that. But let's not remember this kid is still what twenty three years old. In all actuality, he really should be a rookie coming into the league. He came in to uh, the. Came out of college, uh, what two years early, and uh, has shown signs of being that guy. Signs, signs of being that franchise quarterback that hopefully someday could take the Jets to the promised land. But a lot of his problems have have been uh, poor judgment and uh, uh, dealing 
with uh, some injury issues or medical issues each of the first two years. And the poor judgment, when it a lot of it comes to the fact that he's had bad offensive lines in front of him. And so far this week, you've seen what Joe Douglas has done as far as making upgrades on the offensive line, bringing in George Font, uh, signing uh, Connor um, McGovern, uh, adding uh, Greg Van Ruden, who's considered one of the better guards in uh, this free agency class, bringing back Alex Lewis, who I thought was a good addition when they traded for him last year for a fourth-round pick. You know, making subtle upgrades here compared to the jokes that they were running out there last year. Because, let's face it, you know, they they drag a retired center um, out of retirement for $8 bucks. That turned out to be a waste. And, you know, they went to Jonathan Harrison, who I thought did all right there, but obviously they view him as more of a depth guy and preferred to go with uh, McGovern as, as uh, their center. A guy that is uh, still reasonably young and uh, uh, has uh, been a quality guy uh, at best. So they've upgraded along the offensive line, allowed to uh, protect uh, or given a force there to better protect Sam Darnold. So hopefully next year in year three, it's the year where he can stay healthy, play 16 games, and uh, be able to take that next step, have enough time to uh, look around and not have to stare down a, a one specific receiver, go through his uh, progressions. Now, I was asked the other day by a friend of mine, what do you think the uh, Jets' biggest weaknesses are? Top five weaknesses on the team. And you know, it was kind of a weird question to answer because you don't want five weaknesses on a team. You can have a weakness here or there, but you don't want to think of and point out, damn, I got that many problems with this team. I know no one's perfect, but you like to have less than five. So I went through it and... Uh, five to one, here was what I came up with. At five, I uh, said uh, the cornerback position. They were able to bring back Brian Poole, who had his moments last year. Uh, you've uh, got that kid, Bless Austin, who seemingly came out of nowhere and, and played well, though. I think he needs to get his ego in check a little bit, and that was shown in the game against the Steelers when he uh, got benched in the second half. They br bring in uh, uh, Pierre Desher, uh last night, a veteran corner to add to that group. But you're always very fishy of when a, a t another team uh, cuts a guy that wasn't making a lot of money and you bring him in saying, what do they know that I don't? So that's um, a concern there. And number four, it's a wide receiver. Um because you no, know, you 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 look at at the wide receiver group for the Jets in whole, and there's not that true deep number one threat for uh, this team. There's not that guy that uh, can go up against the other team's corner, number one corner, and uh, you know 
when Sam uh, needs to take deep shot, you know he's uh, going to be uh, that guy each and every single time. But no, they still have Jameson Crowder there. The, uh, we'll see uh, what happens as far as whether they uh, bring back uh, Robbie Anderson. I think there's a good chance of that happening because the free agent market is dried up on these wide receivers outside of uh, uh, Amari Cooper getting his money. Not, not a lot of these guys are getting paid. and Most of the action there seems to be uh, teams trading for guys. Plus, you look at uh, the upcoming draft, They uh, a lot of uh, wide receivers going to be available in the, the first couple of rounds. you got a lot of guys that especially you know with CD Lamb and the crew coming out of Alabama a lot of uh, guys that project to be uh, star receivers going to be available in the first couple of rounds there that people are going to be interested in so saying why am I going to waste uh, cap cap capital on one of these guys when I could just uh, draft one of these young studs from either Bama, Oklahoma, or LSU in uh, this coming year's uh, drafts. And with the Jet, the moves the Jets have made to upgrade the offensive line, I would actually be okay if they went with a wide receiver at pick number 11, unless they chose to address what I have as at number three as far as their weaknesses. And that's right tackle. Because, you now you bring in Font, play left tackle. Got Lewis back, he'll be left guard. Uh, McGovern be the center. Uh, Van Roden at right guard. You have uh, Jonathan Harrison, this, the guy that can kind of roam around between guard and center position as the backup there. But currently, if you look at the Jets' depth chart, it lists Chum, Chuma Adogu as uh, the starting right tackle. Let's face it, at times last year, this kid was a turnstile at, at right tackle. So if the Jets wanted to, say, draft one of the better offensive linemen in this coming year's draft uh, at number 11, such as uh, the kid coming out of Georgia, have him play right tackle for a couple of years as he breaks into the league before eventually moving him over to left tackle in a couple of years when Font's a free agent. If it, that's where to decide to go at pick number 11, I, that would be something I'm okay with, something uh, that I, I think the Jets uh, need to address there. So right tackle is what I got as third as far as weaknesses. Number two, this has been something I've screamed about for a long time. I'm sure a lot of Jet fans have, and that's edge pass rusher. You know, they need that guy, whether it's at defensive end or outside linebacker, that can uh, get to the quarterback without a blitz and take a little bit of pressure off uh, the guys in uh, that secondary and um, you know force uh, the opposing quarterback into some mistakes or give him no time to breathe whatsoever. So that is uh, number two. And, of course, number one. The number one weakness of the New York Jets is the head coach position. I mean, you you look around their division right now. Hell, you look around the conference. You could argue they have the worst coach in all of the AFC. 
And that's sad when you consider there are some teams that are going to have rookie head coaches this year. Adam Gase, he, he does nothing to impress me, does nothing to inspire that he's some good coach, that he he's a guy that uh, can uh, take this team to uh, the next level. And I'm worried that we're going to be sitting here eight, nine months from now talking about how, once again, the Jets are going to be searching for a new head coach. So that that's my five biggest weaknesses. Head coach, edge pass rusher, right tackle, wide receiver, and the cornerback position. If you have any that I missed out on, let me know via Facebook or Twitter or in the comments section below. All right, I'm going to take one more break here, come back, finish up with some baseball thoughts. Continue keeping it sports with M3. All right, a couple more minutes left here, but I want to finish up with talking about some baseball because, you know, of everything that's going on in the world right now, and this pandemic, most important thing, hopefully all of you are being wise, staying home, staying safe, you know, abiding by this whole social distancing uh, uh, concept rather than, uh, you know, being an idiot, thinking that, oh, this doesn't apply to me, that I can't get this. Because it, as we're seeing, uh, if you just flip on the news every day, the numbers are growing as far as, you know, the positive uh, corona tests, coronavirus tests each and every single day. So I hope all of you are being wise about your decisions uh, and uh, staying clear of any like large gatherings uh, whatsoever. But it's, the main reason it's got me most suppressed is, you no, know, we're, what, about 11 days since what is being called the day the sports world stopped. But the, the, the one sport that it's annoying me most to be without is Major League Baseball, because this coming Thursday was supposed to be opening day. This coming Thursday, that day that I look forward to each and every single year, a day that some people have even petitioned should be a national holiday, the beginning of the baseball season. And this is a season that I was so amped up about, so highly anticipating. Now, Got to wait for it. Now got to hope and pray that a baseball season actually does happen and that the only baseball season that is in my future isn't just, you know, playing this video game this coming Thursday. You know, MLB the show, the, the game still, the wrapping is still on the game. I refuse to play it until opening day Thursday, but I hope that's not the only baseball in uh, my life this uh, coming year, this coming season. And, you know, as I said, we can flatten the curve sooner rather than later and hear those oh-so-beautiful words of play ball before all is said and done. But I mentioned last week the one positive with a delay in the season is it, it has bought the Yankees some time as far as getting people healthy as far as you know some of the 
injury concerns and protecting some young pitchers when it comes to innings uh, totals as well. You know, I don't think they were going to start the season with the team, but there was a lot of hype, a lot of excitement in spring training around the likes of Davey Garcia and Clark Smith. So no, now it you won't be so concerned in the summer months if we have a season uh, about you know, protecting those guys against a certain workload level, a certain innings limit, because whenever the season does start, it is going to be shortened. Uh, to what extent, who knows, but it is not going to be the full 162-game schedule we're used to seeing. But the other positive is you know, they do have guys injured, other than Luis Severino, um, none of them are long-term injuries where it could probably uh, cost them the year, including the the injury to Aaron Judge, who we remember he, at the the point where, like about a week before the the spring training schedule was stopped, it was announced that. No, he has a stress fracture in his ribs. He, they're gonna uh, give him two weeks of rest before having another CT scan. Well, last Thursday they had the CT scan and it it showed that the the ribs haven't the rib hasn't completely healed yet, but it is improving. He did throw one nugget in there. He did throw one bomb in there that caught me by surprise, and that was the fact that he was dealing with a partially collapsed lung, I think that was. And and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. Isn't a partially collapsed lung something you could die from? Isn't that something that that would prevent you, uh, affect your breathing during workouts or playing games? How the hell was this guy... Still playing games from uh, mid-September on into the postseason and doing his off-season workouts when there was a partially collapsed lung in there. Um, he, he, yeah, he's been a, a, a little bit brittle, a little bit injury-riddled the last couple of years. But the guy's a damn freak if he was actually playing or actually able to to battle through a partially collapsed lung. That just, I don't know, something about that just sounds painful to even talk about there. But, you know, the Yankees have gotten a lot of criticism, rightfully so, how they've handled injuries. But we also have to turn our criticism toward another team. Another team, as far as their the way they're handling injuries, and this time, no, it's it's not the New York Mets this time. It, it, it's not them where they've been the easy punching bag the the last several years when it comes to how they handle injuries. Remember, this is the same organization that took Ryan Church on a plane with a concussion once upon a time. It's the same organization that has misdiagnosed at times David Wright's back problems, uh, know that Noah Syndergaard uh, refused to get an MRI. So so they've ha- had their issues there. No, the team I'm talking about now is the team I love to hate, the team that I have a hate-hate relationship with, 
and that's the Boston Red Sox. Because I said this about two weeks ago when, when I was back there in Cherry Hill at the CSB uh, Studios, place that I miss so much. But I, I said that then, and I, I'll say it again now, the way they were handling Chris Sale is absolutely stupid. And now it comes out last week that he's going to need Tommy John surgery. Now, you you could see this coming from a mile away because you look back to when they won the World Series in 2018. Remember, he missed a lot of time in the final two months of the season uh, there. He barely made it back in time for the postseason. And although he everyone remembers him striking out Manny Machado to end that World Series, getting the final three outs... It was touch and feel at times, his availability for some of his his starts. And he was dealing with a condition that they weren't quite disclosing. Last year comes into the season, they didn't pitch him as much in spring training. And he has a horrendous start to his year. Eventually gets shut down in August. And... They sent him for seemingly two, three, four opinions, enough opinions that would tell them that, no, he's just got a strain and that he does not need Tommy John surgery. They, he gets, he re-injures the elbow in spring training, and they do the same thing. They send him to Dr. James Andrews first, and then send him to, for a second, third, fourth opinion sending him to enough opinions waiting for that one doctor that would say no he does not need Tommy John surgery just rest then begin a strengthening program eventually well eventually start throwing the baseball again re-injured the elbow and lo and behold he needs Tommy John surgery and you know they're idiots on a couple of fronts here a if, the, if it was recommended by Andrews or by the second opinion a couple of weeks ago to get the surgery, they should have done it now. I, don't, I know none of us could have foreseen it having the coronavirus having this kind of um, impact on the sports world. But now with how uh, jammed our hospitals are, our medical situation is in this country it's going to delay a time in which he can get this surgery he's he's not going to get to begin the surgery tomorrow or this week because these doctors have a more pressing issue at hand than surgically repairing the elbow of a professional athlete they they've got a well lives uh to be concerned about you know people battling a, a virus that Still, we don't have uh, all the information in the world about. Then, you know, you could have the surgery last year if it was told to you at the time that he was dealing with this. But no, you, you decided to go with the cautious route to it, which I think, as we've seen over time, there's only been two guys, two, that had the tear in their elbow and were able to put it off and avoid it for 
a while to come. The, the number one that comes to my mind and that people will bring up is Masahiro Tanaka. When in his rookie year here in the States, he tore his elbow in July, was able to work his way back, get make a couple starts by the end of that season, and s- since then has been a uh, dependable starter for the Yankees. Never quite as dominant as he was that first half of his rookie year, but has been a... a uh, good pitcher uh, for this team and has been able to avoid any surgery on his arm. Maybe it's not as torn as badly as some would need it to be for them to go under the knife. The other one was uh, Adam Wainwright. He was able to avoid Tommy John surgery for about five years before having it in uh, 2011. So there are some cases of being able to avoid it. But when you're sale and you've been dealing with injury issues now since middle of 2018, and to compound on top of this, for some reason last April, you know Dave Dombrowski, who's now fired, since been fired, decided it would be a great idea to sign Chris Sale to a five-year, $145 million contract extension when he's still two years away from free agency. Now, how, how's that looking right about now? I mean, you know, every, everyone wants to rip the Yankees for how they've handled the injury concern medical situation, and rightly so. But let's look at the Red Sox and realize that they're not perfect at, at this either. No one is. And you know, as, as bad as the Yankees handled some of their Injury concerns last year, this looks much, much worse. Because now, as I said, Sale's not having the surgery anytime soon. And even after he does, it's a 12 to 15 month recovery process. So you're talking, what, August of 2021 probably at the earliest that you're going to get this guy back. If, say, he doesn't have the surgery until, can't have the surgery until like April or May. You're talking August, late in the season, before you get this guy back in there. Not a good job by the Red Sox. Poor way of handling uh, this. But, hey, no, the, at least uh, the positive for them is they uh, won't have this affect them too, too much on the, the field for uh, the time being. Because who knows if or when baseball is ever going to start hopefully hopefully it's sooner rather than later for this monday march 23rd 2020 i'm m3 and that was my opinion everyone stay safe stay healthy and hopefully i'll talk to you again very soon peace